a couple of months back who was on a plane trip. And on that plane trip, right before they were getting closer to landing, this person got a terrible headache. And a terrible headache might be an understatement. They got one of the worst migraines you could possibly have, a mega migraine. I'm not even sure how else you would describe it. But the person told me that she seriously wondered if this was her end. Like if, if she was dying, was there something terminal going on inside her head that, you know, was, was just saying, you're almost over. Now, in the middle of that pain, thinking that it may be her end, she started thinking through what she should say to her husband, who was sitting next to her on a plane. Started thinking through what she should say to her mom, who was probably minutes away from sitting outside the airport, going to pick them up. She started wrestling through, if this was her final minute, her final hour to live, who would she want to talk to? What would her last words be? What key relationships would she want to finish well in? Now, long story short, she made it, but in her telling me that story, it got me thinking. If I knew I only had hours to live, who would I call? Who would I text? Who would I want in the room with me? And what in the world would I say? What would my final words be? You guys ever thought about that? What would yours be? Who would you call? Who would you text? If you're watching online and you want to you put a name or, or just a relationship in the comment box, go ahead. We're, we're not going to come back to that, but it'd be great for people who are watching to, to see who you're thinking about. Who would you want to see in person? What would you say? What would your final words be? Grab your Bibles, if you have them. If you don't, grab your phone. If you don't have a phone, that's okay. The verses are going to be up on the screen. We're going to take a short break from our catechumenate series that we've been in for the last six weeks, eight weeks, and we're going to look at the final words of Jesus, the last words that he said while hanging on the cross. Now, in these last words, we're going to get a glimpse into his heart, his hopes, his mission still being fulfilled even as he was within the final hours, the final breaths of his earthly life. Now, what we're going to see this morning similar to the person on the airplane, is that as Jesus hung there, as he was looking out and down and up and around, his heart was beating for relationships. His heart and his last words dealt with relationships. In the Gospel of John's account, John chapter 19, the, the Jesus begins his last words by talking to his mom. He begins by speaking to the one person who had been, in, been with him from the moment of his conception. John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, his disciple took her into his home. I and mean, let's put this all into context. I think a lot of us know what's going on. In the hours leading up to this, Jesus had been betrayed and arrested. He had stood trial in a couple of different locations, and he had heard his verdict of death proclaimed by the Roman governor Pilate. He'd carried his cross up to the hill, Skull Hill, called Golgotha. His hands and feet had been nailed, and there were two criminals on each side, and above him a sign read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. His clothes had already been divided and dice 
were in process of being rolled to see who would get his robe. And now we get to John 19.25. Here was Jesus hanging on the cross hours from death. And there beside the cross was his mom, a couple of other Marys, and a disciple that he loved. Now, no other gospel says, uh, brings up his supporters near the cross. Um, a couple others, they, they say that there was people further away that were watching. John actually does a great job telling who was against Jesus in this, in this episode, in this narrative, in this story. There were the crowds that mocked him. The religious leaders that didn't like him, the soldiers that were there laughing at him, the, the people walking by, they were all against Jesus. And yet in John's gospel, John is kind enough to tell us there was a few people who were close by, within earshot, who could hear what he said. They stood there watching. So what was going on in Jesus' mind? What was going on in his heart? We get glimpses of it as the very first thing he says is to his mom. Dear woman, he said, here is your son. Of course, to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. Dear woman. We don't know much about Jesus' relationship with his mom according to the Gospel of John. In fact, in John's Gospel, his mom's only mentioned one other time. It's the wedding in Cana. And there he called her the same thing. He says, woman. Did he not call her mom? <laughs> what was his relationship like with his mom? I mean, we can get bits and pieces of it from the other Gospels. We know that, uh, that his birth was miraculous. We know his mom thought deeply, pondered the things that took place around his birth. You know, what was said and what was done. We know there was wise men. We know there, was, there were shepherds. There was angry rulers. And we know that early on, uh, his mom and his dad and Jesus, they fled to Egypt. And then they, they came back when things were safe back to his homeland. We know that at age 12, there was this little... Uh, Episode, this little uh, thing that took place when the family had, had celebrated the Passover in Jerusalem and they all left, extended family and all. They got into the minivan and they, the caravan, excuse me, right? And they started driving back to where their home was and they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. So they went back. I think some of you are familiar with this story, but Luke chapter 2, verse 45 to 51, you can listen to it. It says, When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Now catch this. It's the only words we have when Jesus wasn't an adult. Why do you need the search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. But then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored up all these things in her heart. What was his relationship like with his mom? We don't really know that much. We know that as an adult, there was another time when Jesus was in a house, he was teaching healing, and, and his mom and brothers were outside, and they wanted to talk to him, so they sent word in to talk to him, and you can listen to the account, Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 to 50, it says, someone told Jesus, your mom and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak to you, but Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and my mother and brothers. 
And anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I mean, through these passages, we don't know what Jesus' relationship was with his mom. But it's telling that the very first thing he says on the cross is directed at the one person who had been with him since the very beginning. Dear woman, he said, here is your son. To the other disciple, here is your mom. These are words of relationship. These are words of care and concern. Perhaps in these last words, Jesus was saying without saying it, Mom, you and I may not have always seen eye to eye. You may not have always understood why I did what I did and said what I did, but I am caring for you now. I'm demonstrating my love for you now and the fact that I want to make sure you are cared for. As he looked down into her eyes, I wonder if she thought of all the time she had looked down into his, right? Rocking him to sleep, feeding him, laughing with him, changing his diapers, crying together. When Jesus was on the cross before he breathed his last, he wanted to make sure that he spoke words of relationship to his mom. He wanted to make sure she was good to go. And as soon as he knew she was, so was he. Those were last loving words of relationship. Now, I'm not meaning to be morbid or anything, but none of us knows when our last days will be, do we? We don't. If you knew that you only had hours to live, would there be family members that you would have last words for? Would there be ways that you would want to care for those who have spent much of your life caring for you? I want to invite Tim up. He's going to lead us in a couple of more songs. He's going to strum for a little bit first. And I'd love for you just to ponder for a little bit. If you want to, go ahead and close your eyes. You can picture the family members you would want around you in your final moments. You know, think, think of the words you may say to them. In the coming days, this week, maybe you want to have some of those conversations. Maybe it's not safe for you to do that, so maybe you want to send a text or write a note, even if the note isn't delivered until after you go. Will your last words be words of love for relationship? Let's take just a moment and let these words, let these questions sink in. Who would you want near you? And what would you say to them? Jesus, as we, uh, as we sit and think, you know, about something we may not normally think of, our, our final days, our final minutes and hours that we're alive, I, I think to my relationship with my mom. I think of all the times we laughed together, laughed so hard that we cried. 
I think of the time she comforted me. The time she walked with me through challenging times. I think of the way that she was always there. And I can only imagine that you, Jesus, felt very similar about your mom. You probably loved her in a more true and pure and holy way than any of us could love our moms. Lord, I thank you for the example that you set. I thank you that the first thing out of your mouth in John's gospel was words of relationship for your mom. It was for care and concern for a family member. Lord, we know that those next few days would have been trying for her, would have been tremendously difficult for her. She would have been filled with grief, and yet you did what you could to take care of her. I thank you for that. Jesus, I don't want any of us to miss an opportunity to express how we feel towards our family. So if we have opportunity this week, Lord, would you, would you allow us to jump on that? to take that opportunity to be able to speak words of love based out of relationship. Help us learn from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Talking about something that we most often don't think about. If you only had hours to live, who would you call? Who would you text? Who would you want in the room with you? And what in the world would you say? What would your final words be? In John's account, Jesus started his final words with words to his mom. Now, for those who don't know, whether you're watching online or in person, we have four different accounts of Jesus' life story. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one is a different author's account of Jesus' life. So we get actually four different accounts of his death and resurrection also. In Luke's account, one of the other authors, we get to see Jesus' first words while hanging on the cross, the, the first words of his last words, being directed not towards those who were for him, but towards those who were against him. In Luke's account, the first words of Jesus' last words were directed not at those who were for him, but at those who were against him. Now, similar to John's account, leading up to this place in the cross in Luke chapter 23, you get to see Jesus' trial. You get to see angry crowds who were yelling at him. You get to see him carrying a cross. In Luke's account, he actually had somebody help him carry the cross for a little while, a guy named Simon. And he also stopped once or twice to talk to the women of Jerusalem who were there on the side of the road weeping for him. Now, when you get to the point when his cross is set in the ground, when it stood tall and in between two criminals on either side of him, the first words of his last words were not directed at people for him, but at the people who were against him. This is Luke chapter 23, verses, well, verse 34. Jesus said to them, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. These are his first words on the cross in Luke's gospel. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes, his clothes by throwing dice. His last words, not directed towards those who are for him, but those against him. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, Pastor, you've got it wrong. He's not talking to the people who are around him. He's praying. He's talking to God. He's talking to his heavenly Father. 
That's who he's talking to, and you'd be right in pushing back against me with that. That's what he's doing. But I would argue, because I've sat and thought about this, I would think that those words that he prayed, yes, they were directed upward, but they were meant to be heard outward. And if he didn't say them outwardly, we wouldn't have them written down. So I think he said them, meaning for them to be heard. So we've got to ask the question, why? I mean, call it a teachable moment if you want to. Why would Jesus say this while hanging on the cross? If you're familiar with any of Jesus' teachings, you know he taught a lot on forgiveness. He taught many messages on forgiving other people. One of, one of the favorites is the, uh, the story of the lost son. It has a, a definite overtone of forgiveness in that. The, the son had, had taken his inheritance early. He had gone off to a faraway place. He'd blown all of his money on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, well, I guess the text said he blew it on wild living, so same thing. Um, when he came back, though, his dad forgave him, welcomed him right back into the family. Jesus taught this lesson on forgiveness. Now, another time, his best friend Peter came up to him, and he said, Lord, teacher, how many times must I forgive somebody? <laughs> you got to wonder who he was hanging out with, right? That he would have to ask that question. Listen to the exchange between the two of them. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's a lot of time to forgive somebody. I heard somebody online say amen. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> that is a lot of times to forgive someone. Whether your version says 77 or 70 times 7, wow. Another time, Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. It's right after uh, he taught people how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me read that again. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus would say this again at the end of the Gospel of John after his resurrection. Why would Jesus say this twice? I mean, why would, was he referencing this on the cross? Was he thinking he had sins that needed to be forgiven? You guys can go ahead and shake your head, no. Okay, We know that Jesus didn't sin, but as he hung there, he felt the weight of the sins of humanity on his shoulders. So perhaps as he was praying that prayer, Father, forgive them. Forgive humanity, for they don't know what they are doing. Maybe that's why he prayed that prayer out loud. Or maybe, maybe Jesus was just wanting to make sure his own heart was clear. Right? He'd been mistreated in the last few hours and most of his life. The people who were around him were, were responsible for putting him up on the cross. Maybe he was just making sure there was no more anger or hard feelings in his heart. It would fit with what the Apostle Paul taught the church in Ephesus. He said this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Maybe Jesus was making sure his heart was clear. Maybe that's why one of the things he said was forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. 
I think it's fairly safe to say that there wasn't any malice in Jesus' heart. There was no bitterness. Jesus knew that these people around him were just players in a greater story that was being written, parts that need to be played. So I can't help but think that his prayer for forgiveness was not to make sure his own heart was clear or that his father would forgive him, but it was for the men who were within earshot so that they could hear. Why? Well, I go back to the first mini-sermon, and I say this has to do with relationship. I think as he hung there on the cross, Jesus was thinking about relationships. Now, perhaps, this might be a stretch, but bear with me, perhaps one day those soldiers closest to Christ on the cross would reconsider who he was. Perhaps they would one day become searchers and sojourners and become full-on disciples of him. Perhaps one day they would think, wow, the centurion said he was innocent. He, I think he was, and I want to learn more about him. Now imagine for them, those soldiers who had nailed him to the cross, if they started thinking this, imagine the guilt that they would have felt knowing that while Jesus hung there and suffered, they laughed and they rolled dice for his clothes. Imagine the weight of guilt that they would have felt. But if, if one day they thought, ah, I think I want to follow him. And they thought back to what he said on the cross that day, something that didn't mean anything, anything to them at the time. But they heard it with their own ears. Jesus' own lips seeking their forgiveness. Imagine the release and freedom that they would have felt. I mean, in the words that Jesus spoke, I think he could have been thinking about future relationships that he would have with the people who were around him, the people walking by throwing insults, the people who had beat him. Now, I realize that I'm speculating a little bit, and maybe a little bit further than some of you are comfortable with, but what if I change the narrative just a little? How many times have you and I realized that we are responsible for Jesus hanging on the cross? I love that the song we sang right before this said, it was my sins that held him there. How many times have we thought, I may not have drove the nails, but I put him there. You may not have pierced his side, but you put him there. So does hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them, with the idea that it may have been us he was thinking of, does that give you pause at all? Does that make your heart beat a little bit faster thinking that Jesus' last words may have been meant for us as well? Us who have spent so much time living lives that are opposed to him. I tell you what, Jesus has forgiven me well over 70 times, seven times. Well over it. And I can't help but when I read this, hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive James. Or he doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive Tim, forgive Mike, forgive Tessa, forgive Dorothy, forgive Scott, for they don't know what they're doing. I take great comfort in the thought that as Jesus hung there minutes from death, he was thinking of relationships with people who opposed him, with people who were far away from him, with people who were outside the walls of normal relationship with him, but that may, that may one day find him as the gate. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I tell you what, if I knew I only had a few hours left to live, would I be thinking of the people who wronged me? Would I be thinking of the people farthest away from me? Would I be interceding to the Father for them? 
I'm glad Jesus did. As we bring this little second mini-sermon to a close, I'll invite Tim up again. And I want us to purposely take some time to think through what we've heard. To think through these last words of relationship that Jesus has spoken, that we've looked at today. I, I think that they are focused on relationships. As we did after the first one, I'd like us to just ponder for a little bit if there are relationships in your own life that perhaps are outside your comfort zones. Perhaps that you've got some unresolved rifts with. People that you know that there's been damage done and that it hasn't been resolved. Do you have any relationships like that? This morning is God calling you to enter into forgiveness with them. Maybe to pray for their forgiveness to the Heavenly Father. Are you willing to pursue that? Again, if it's safe to do so. Willing to do a call, a text, a letter, a face-to-face apology. Today, do we need to live out the same type of forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated to those who did not like him? Those who did not support him, those who didn't want him around. It's also possible that this morning, what you took away from this last part was the realization that even though you've been far away from Christ, you were on his heart and mind in those final moments. And this morning, perhaps, you are realizing for the first time that he has forgiven you. He has cried out to his Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And he's allowing you the same freedom and release that he would have been offering those who walked the dusty roads of Galilee with him. If you knew you only had hours to live, minutes to live, what words of relationship would you want to make sure were said? calling you to some sort of action? Is he calling you to reach out to a family member? Is he calling you to mend a fence? Is he calling you to accept his forgiveness, the Father's forgiveness for the first time, and to begin following him? Any of those things are not easy, and each of those things have a lasting impact. Father, for us, it's hard. It is hard to forgive those who wrong us. I don't know if it's harder for us now or back then when when you walked the earth. I would imagine it's about the same if you have to tell Peter to forgive people 70 times, 7 times. Lord, oftentimes we can't forgive without your help. We do thank you for the example of forgiveness that you set on the cross. I do thank you that in Luke's account, your first words were words of forgiveness because it wasn't that so much of your life, wasn't that so much of your ministry, wasn't that so much of your message. Jesus, I want to be known as a a person who forgives. I want your church to be known as as a church that forgives. May we be quick 
Lord, to seek, to seek out forgiveness, to offer forgiveness, and to lift up people who may not see eye to eye with us to you. As we do that, I ask that you would do the work in our hearts that needs to be done so that each and every day we can become more and more like Christ. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way through us. And I ask this in Jesus' name.